Thank you for checking out our podcast today. We hope that the teaching you're about to hear will inspire you and motivate you on your incredible journey in becoming a better you. So please turn your attention to today's message. Let's talk about run to win, but don't lose your focus. Don't lose focus. Amen. We talk about getting a, a song, a theme song. Rebecca blessed me the Sunday when she said, slow down so you can speed up. We know we talk about purpose, running with purpose. But today I want to really encourage you to don't lose focus. Okay? We are in the 10 month of the 12th of the year. And sometimes I'm thinking about, I was thinking about the marathon runners, right? And they, they have to run 26 miles. I was in high school, I ran the 100 meter. That's all I could, that's all I could handle, right? By the 200, I was like, I, I can't, I just can't do 200. And then 800, I was like, well, what's the point of all this, right? I wanna have a beginning and an end, I want it to be quick. But then I look at these marathon runners and I'm thinking, what are they thinking in mile 20th when they still have six and a half miles to go? Think about that, right? Six more miles. Now, I've been running for two hours, mind you. My husband and I were in college together, and I took a health science class, and we had to pass the class. I had to run the mile in 15 minutes, in less than 15 minutes, right? First, our professor was always in pain, so I don't understand how he taught me health science, but that's... So here I am on my final, I'm like, I had to do a mile in last four times around the field in less than 15 minutes. And I did one time and I'm like, oh my God, I got three more to go, three more to go. By the second time, you know, I was running, the first time I was running really fast, I'm like, oh, I can do this. Second round, I was like, oh God, I had two more to go. By the third one, like, I'm gonna walk. Just all I have to do really is less than 15 minutes. So if I reach the end at 14.59 seconds, I pass the class. All I need is a seat. I don't care. And guess how what I did? I passed that mile at 14.59 seconds. (laughs) I was in pain. I didn't understand the purpose of it. I was tired. You know, like. Why? Why do I even take health, science, when I'm in human resources? What's this going to do for me? Right? And so I was thinking about the, 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 the runner, the 26 and a half mile runner. And we'll talk about what happens to them physically and emotionally and spiritually in the 20th mile. It's called the wall of the 20th mile. And if you're not prepared for that, then you start considering quitting or walking or staying out of the or out of the um getting out of that race because the six and a half becomes such a, um, a, um, such a task, right? Your body, the energy of the body is leaving you and now your muscles are breaking down. So that's what happens to the 20 mile. And so I wanted to talk to you about not losing your focus because we are in that 20th mile, right? And so thank you first, Pastor and uh, pastors for trusting me this morning. I'm always honored when you ask me to speak because it's, it is a way. You want to say what God wants you to say and you want to make sure that you're hearing God and that you're not just saying what you think should be said at this moment. 
There's a Bible verse, if you can put the first Bible verse, it says, Hebrews 12, 1, 2 says, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith, and this is from the Living Bible, watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience. In some Bible verses, it, calls, it says endurance. In other Bible verses, translations, it says perseverance. Okay? The particular race that God has set for us. Some of us are hitting the, hitting the wall in the 20 miles because we're trying to run somebody else's race. But this word of God says that we are to ride that particular race that God has set before us. You have a race and I have a race. And like Oprah said, you have a race, and you have a race, and you have a race, and I have a race. Okay? Run your own race. Don't worry about my race. Run your own race. Keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew will be his afterwards. And now he sits in the place of honor by the throne of God. And so as we look at this Bible verse, I'm thinking of four things. I'm thinking of it as to being the coach talking to us right before the race. There are four things that this coach wants us to know. One is to embrace the process. Okay? Number two, this coach wants us to know to, to stay the course. Number three, remember. And number four is don't lose focus. I was reading a book. I have a book that I couldn't find, but I have it. And it's called Running with the Giants, What the Old Testament Heroes Want You to Know About Life and Leadership. And in this book, which was written by Maxwell, John C. Maxwell is one of the writers that writes a lot about leadership, and I read him all the time. In this book, you, you are placed, the reader, in this um, stadium, and you're running this race. And every lap, there is someone from the stand coming and running alongside you, telling you some words of wisdom, some things that God wants you to know. And so, read the book. It's an easy read, but it's a very uh, interesting read. And so, in, in the first person that comes is Noah, right? So, as you're running, Noah approaches you and says, from him, we learn that one person can make a difference, right? His words of wisdom and encouragement are, don't be afraid to stand out in a crowd and don't be afraid to do something for the first time. After that first lap, then comes Esther. And I love Esther, um, this orphan late girl that was chosen by a king, by, his, um, by her uncle to go into the kingdom and became a queen. And she says, learn that God has, play, has a place for us. Someone, an adopted child, sometimes doesn't have a place. They don't know where they belong. And she's telling us, learn that God has a place for us. Her words of encouragement to us are that for a period of time, you may not understand God's planning and purpose for your life. But when you realize what that is, right, it becomes, you feel empowered. And it's easier to take risks. The third person that comes and runs with you will be Joseph. And for him, we learn to not give up on our dreams. His wisdom and encouragement is that God is always with us. And to develop ourselves during the down times and when we suffer injustice or hard times 
and this, that self-promotion can never replace divine promotion. Isn't that interesting that it's so different from what we learn in the world, right? When, I, when you go into a company, you want to be, they, te they teach you to self-promote so you can go to the next level, so you can get, um, you know, uh, promoted. And so you're, when you go to interviews, they tell you never to talk about your weaknesses, but always turn them into your positive and say why you are the only person that can fulfill that position. But in here, Joseph is telling us, self-promotion is not divine promotion. Then it comes Rebecca, and with her we learn that to give generously to others. Moses is also another runner that comes and joins, and with him he tells us to live in the faith zone. Because it's in that zone where you begin to see the greatest moments and memories. When you're in the safe zone, or when you're in the safe zone, you're going to miss God's miracles, right? So be in the faith zone. Then he comes Abraham, and you know what happened with Abraham. We learned that God always does the right thing. And he said that perfection is not a prerequisite for God to begin his work in our lives. Some of us are waiting to be perfect to say yes to God. We are, right? We're like, I don't have it all together. I don't speak well. Abraham was old. He couldn't have children. Um, we say things like, well, other people are better educated than me. But God is not waiting for all of that. That's not what God wants. Then he talks about Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, we learn that no problem is, to get, is too big when you have help. And Nehemiah teaches us to to rely on others, right? Also counter to our culture, because in our culture, it's like, I'm going to do it on my own. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. Because when we need somebody else, we look at that as a weakness. And instead, in God's kingdom, that's not a weakness. Many times, we are afraid to even ask for help. But in the kingdom of God, that's why we have this corporate, that's why we have this keynote, yeah, that's why we have each other, so we can ask for help. So we are not afraid to do it alone because God never intended for this race that we're running for us to do it alone. And from David, we learn to overcome the limitations that others put on us. Remember that when he was chosen as king, his father didn't even think about, of, of him as a king. So he was in the, with the sheep, and then called them until Samuel said, go get them. Because God told the prophet that there was someone else. And Jonathan, who was the heir to the kingdom of Saul, saw on David that he was going to be the leader. And so Jonathan teaches that there are two things that we can do when we see someone. We can make a choice to either hurt that person or make a choice to help that person. And so those are some of the uh, people that... on. Um, Hebrews 12 talks about that cloud of witnesses, right? These people in, in Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 11 that have lived a life of faith, that some of them lived this life of faith and never saw what they were wishing for or hoping for come to fruition, but they still serve God and they still live a life of faith. And there are additional people that we can talk about. And if we look into this congregation right now, we see children that should not have been born because the doctor said they should not have been born. That is part of the cloud of witnesses. We see children running that should not have walked. 
right? That in their belly, they, should, they said they wouldn't walk. That's part of the um, cloud of witness. You'll see people that could have been gone with COVID in the hospital, but they're here right now worshiping God because that's part of the cloud of witness. We see marriages that have been restored, that were about to break down or break up, but then God did the work on them. That's part of our cloud of witness. We see people that were in bankruptcy and they couldn't give and now they're givers. That's part of the cloud of witness. You see, you are part of that cloud of witness. That's you, your story. And if I give the mic, I can see, I know that I have at least 10 or 12 people that could stand up today and tell us the greatness of God in their lives and begin to testify what God has done for them. And when you start hearing those testimonies and when you start hearing what God has done, not only in the Old Testament, not only in the New Testament, but right now, there is nothing else but give you that strength to keep on beyond the 20th mile. And so I want us to view Hebrews that way. The slide that says embrace the process. Now, I'm not saying the process is easy, okay? The process for this race is not an easy. I don't know where we got this idea that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we're going to be walking on this beautiful um, garden with, on top of petal, rose, petals of roses, that nothing is going to go wrong ever in our lives, that Every morning we wake up with the sun shining and birds chirping in our, by our bed and the coffee just handed to us, right? We think that being a Christian shouldn't have any type of suffering. But the only thing, one of the many things that the Bible promises is that we will suffer, right? And that we will have temptation, that we will have testing, that we will have trial. But it also promised a way out for all of that. That's the awesomeness of God's word. So when we talk about the process, it begins with salvation. And it begins with salvation. And the word salvation has two different words that are used throughout the New Testament. There are two different Hebrew words. The one is so, so, and that means that moment in which you make that decision to say yes to Christ. It's a one-time moment and nothing, no one can take that away from you. Nothing else you're going to have. Um, salvation, Romans 10, 10 says, and it's the easiest thing that we can ever do. It says, for with the heart, a person believes in Christ as a savior, resulting in his justification that is making you right before him, right? Being free of the guilt of sin and made acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. And so when we said, do you want to be part of this amazing family that is led by Jesus Christ? And you say, yes, that's salvation right then and there. But our journey doesn't stop there, right? That's just the beginning of our journey. But sometimes we dedicate, we say, that was my entire journey. Just say yes when the offer is done. Do you want to be part of this family? Do you confess with your sins? Do you confess with your mouth that you have sinned? Yes. Do you confess that Jesus is Lord? Yes, I'm done. This is my journey. And then we go home and we continue to live any way we want, right? We continue to lie. We continue to um, do things that we did before. We say yes, and there is no difference. But that's, there's an also a second part to the salvation. And that's the word soteria, and that soteria, and that means a daily a daily recommitment into this journey. 
And so what we miss sometimes is that daily recommitment, right? So when I say embrace the process, I'm saying embrace that, right? When in Hebrews 4.12, it says, it says, let us strip off anything that slows us down, right? Can I have that? that slow us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up and let us run with That's salvation as well. That's continuous salvation. So this is how we look, right? When we don't want to do, go through that process. We know that we have all the things that weighed us down. Can I have, oh, uh, yeah. That weighed us down, right? In that process is when I'm starting to say, I got to talk about my unforgiveness, I got I to gotta deal with my molestation. I have to forgive. I have to um, talk with my, about my resentment, Lord. You need to work within me so I'm no longer resentful, so I'm no longer mean, so I'm no longer a gossiper, so I'm no longer all these things. And so when I don't want to deal with that, when I don't want to get stripped of those things, this is how I look. You know, I, I, I want to hold everything. Right, I want to hold. Now, y'all should be impressed. This is 30 pounds right here. So this is my resentment. This is my anger. This is my, abuse, my abusive behavior. This is my um, um, unforgiveness. This is my um, wanting, wanting mean, uh, mean and bad things to happen to others. This is my desire to not change. These are my strongholds, right? And so, but then I don't want to let those go right? Because they make me feel good. Because I know it's part of my process, but I already say yes, so why should I work on this? After all, God already made me right before him. And so then I pick up the other ones because this is also part of all the things that I want to let go. And so I'm walking around with 55 pounds of dirt, 55 pounds of guilt, 55 pounds of unforgiveness, 55 pounds of whatever it is that is holding you back. And then you ask yourself, how come I'm not moving any faster? How come it's taking me so long? How come, how come, how, I, how come I'm already short of breath trying to carry 55 pounds that I've never picked before, but because I like it, right? It makes me feel good because I know that that's my safe soul. You know, that's who I am. I'm true, I'm real. I tell it like it is. I don't care if it hurts you or doesn't hurt you. This is me. This is the sin that so easily beseeches. us. This is the sin that I'm not letting go. And then I don't understand why there is no moving forward. There is a version in Hebrews 4, it says, so we can have forward movement, right? I'm going to put this there. Thank you. And so the daily coming to God to deal with those areas, pornography, fornication, adultery, right? And then we want to talk about all those big sins that we think other people are doing. But there is no level of sin, right? My white lie is a sin. My hiding the money from my husband is a sin. My... (laughs) Oh, no, y'all made me. My hiding my Amazon 
my hiding the stuff and not being truthful to my husband how I feel, or vice versa. Husbands, not loving your wife the way Christ loved you, loves us, which means not dying to self so she may live, is also a sin. And so they are right there. Now you have a choice. You can pick them up or you can let God work within you. Right? Treating my wife any kind of way, speaking to her any kind of way, not considering who she is as a human being, who God made her to be, and her role in my marriage, because we think, let me stop. Let me stop. Because we think we know best. The same as parents, right? My daughter, I have a daughter, I love her. She's working today, right? I always said to her, the Bible says, obey your parents as I to the Lord, right? But I never repeat the verse right after it. Which, what does it say? Don't, in other words, don't provoke your children to anger. (laughs) So children, you can say amen to that. And you can look at your parents and say amen to that. All right? So you, you think that because you are the parent and you can say anything you want to your children, the Bible, the God, words of God said, don't provoke them to anger. Train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Some of our children are departing because how we've treated them how we have not showed them the love of God, how we have criticized others, how we have not shown, how we have judged others, how we have not walked in love, how we are miserable in our homes. So why would they choose this God that we say is so awesome, but then show no light? Amen? I was an amen. I love it because in the message it says this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'll better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. I love this. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. And you know a parasitic sin is something that is so in it that you can't really see it, but it's working it. And all you do is you just it out, right? When you have a a parasitic sickness, you know you're sick, right? You smell bad. You're in the bathroom the whole time because you're trying to get rid of this yuckiness. So as I said, embracing the process, it, it takes a lot. It takes a recognition of where we're short or shortcomings are. So the only way that this could happen is if we practice his presence. Right? But don't practice his presence how I sometimes practice his presence. All right? Sometimes I go, I'm going to pray. I do three-minute prayer. I'm like, we're cool, God, and I'm out. Right? And I don't give him a time to really speak because I know what he's going to say, or I think I know what he's going to say, and I might not like what he wants to say to me. Right? So, but it does, it does, it is a practice of his presence. If we stop, talk, if we stop talking long enough, and allow him to speak, 
if we're obedient even to the most meticulously meticulous instructions, right? If we pray daily, if we read his word daily, if we worship daily, if we practice love daily, and if honor him daily, then all these things that are holding back are going to come off. Are you going to run? Are you going to go to the mile 21 and mile 22? But guess what salvation means? Sometimes you're going to creep up again. I thought I had forgiven that person. That's okay. At that moment, Lord, please help me. I'm still being renewed. I'm still being healed from that hurt. Forgiveness does not mean that you are saying, it was okay what they did to me. But you forget why. Because God forgave you first. You are required. If you want forgiveness, then forgive. Jesus said that man should not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why? Because it's through the words of, that, of God that our worlds are framed. That's why we need to know his word. That's why we need to know what he says, what he wants, what he likes. That's what the process is all about, God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his ways. It's all about his word. It's all about who, what he thinks and wants from us. It's not about us. The second thing is stay the course, and i got to hurry up. Stay the course means to keep going strongly to the end of a race or contest, to pursue a difficult task or activity to the end. We're not quitters. We serve the author and finisher of our faith. We serve a God that sees the end before the beginning. He saw your end before he even, he doesn't even care about your beginning. He cares about your end. He cares about your purpose. You know, when you think about the woman, the Samaritan woman, he said, I must go to Samaria. For one woman who had five husbands did not live with the current, with the husband, the last husband. So she could learn about her purpose and run to the city so the entire city could be saved through her. Just one woman. He derailed his entire trip to just see one woman. He came, to he he came from heaven to earth just for you, just for that one. If you were the only one that got saved, Jesus will still have come down, would have come down. He still would have done that. We live in an instant society, and so we want this instant. Like, I prayed yesterday, so I should not have been dealing with this today. Do you mean I need to pray today too? I mean, it happened. Last, I prayed yesterday. The walk with God is not an instant walk. It's a walk that takes time. If you're a cook, you know when you simmer your meat, the stew needs a lot more time to taste better. Okay? This race we are in is long. And the purpose is... So don't allow them to distract you and get you out of way. Don't allow other people, don't allow yourself to distract. We love the different stories in the Bible. I love all of them. I grew up in church. Um, when I went to Argentina, I went and visited my teacher, the, my Sunday school teacher that, uh, when I was eight years old, led me to Christ. I'm 52. And that woman of God is tiny. She's about this high. Every, every one of my friends was led by this woman. She has led thousands upon thousands of kids. This little woman. And so she tells us all the stories. We learn all the stories of the Bibles. We love the story of David. 
right? But between being anointed king until he, he, his ascension to the throne, there were 15 years. We want our purpose to manifest yesterday, right? There were 20 years between Joseph saying, oh, I dreamed that all of you are going to bow down. Until all of them did bow down, 20 years. Sarah and Abraham had to wait 25 years between the promise of Isaac and the delivery of Isaac. And in between, there was an Ishmael because they thought they knew better than God. 18 years between Jesus declaring that he was about his father's business and starting his father's business. He started his ministry at 30 and it only lasted three years and transformed the world. So from the minute that God made you a promise and the minute that it gets manifested, there must be a time. And what's that time for? But except for the process, right? It's so you can mature. It's so you can let go of all the ways that so easily beseech you. It is so you become more loving, more like him. It's like so you can hear him. It's so you can understand what the purpose of it all is. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Now, he doesn't promise that all the things were good. He doesn't promise that everything is going to be easy, that it's going to be fun, that there will be no pain. But he does promise that all things will work for the good of those that love him and that walk in his purpose. So if you're not in his purpose, Hebrews 10, 23, 24 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering for the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And the interesting thing is when they wrote Hebrew, who, uh, the writer of Hebrews was writing to a church that began to waver whether it really makes sense to be on the way, right? Or should we go back to, um, to, to Judaism where it's all about, I check all these things off and I know I'm okay. And so they began to question because people were coming to them and questioning. And he said, no, our hope is in him. Our hope is in him and everything that he has promised us. It will come true. The Bible says that all his promises are yea and amen. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop, crop if we don't give up or quit. And we begin to, um, to waver, we begin to get fatigued because we begin to look at things through our natural eyes. Did it make sense to help that person? Did it make sense that I forgave them? Look at all that I could be doing and where I'm at right now. What am I even wasting my time? And when we begin to think in the natural as spiritual beings, then our eyes are not longer focused on God and what he wants us to do. Now it's in our own strength. And that's what makes us tired. That's what makes us tired. I forgot to say uh, at the beginning, when we let go of this, you got to fulfill it. With, you got to fill that space with something else, right? The Bible says that when you don't fill, you clean your house and you don't put anything new in it. The enemy comes seven times stronger, Right? But when you let go of those things, then you put in all the fruit of the Spirit, including patience, right? Love, joy, gentleness, self-control. You put in the full armor of God. You put in the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You fit your, your feet with the truth, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
So you fill the empty space where all those things that were not of God are taken away and God continuously goes in and continuously you say, God, there's something deeper in my soul. I need you to still work on that. And when that gets cleaned up, then you put more of God. The next thing I want to say is remember, is remember. Remember is actually the this, this slide, remember, all right? Because the coach is telling us to remember, to remember that God is not a man, that he will lie, nor the son, that is not a human being, his decisions will not change. If he says he will do something, then he will do it. If he makes a promise, then he will do what he promised. To remember that his intentions are not always yours and do not go about things as you do. He doesn't go about things the way we do. That his thoughts and ways are above and beyond. To remember that cloud of witness. Hagar is one of my favorite people. I've been studying her. And, uh, and, and Hagar is this little servant girl that was given to Sarah when she was in Egypt. Right? Sold to Sarah or given to Sarah. And sometimes I feel like Hagar. Sometimes we feel like Hagar. Hagar is the, represents that um, overlooked person, right? And then when Sarah decided that she wasn't waiting for God anymore because God must have forgotten about the promise of a son, then she said um, to, to, to um, Abraham, I'm giving you Hagar. So not only the Egyptians gave Sarah past um, Hagar to Sarah as a piece of furniture. Now Sarah is giving to Abraham Hagar also as a piece of furniture, right? Go lay down with her so she can give me a son. And so not only she was going to be birthed in something, she was gonna, that baby was going to be taken away from her. And then when Hagar got pregnant, now remember she's a servant, she has no rights. Now she thinks, oh, I'm carrying the baby of my master, so now I must be somebody. And so she catches a little attitude, right? And I'm shortening. You can read it in Genesis 16. And so Sarah says, oh, oh no. She's been spiteful towards me, and I'm the master's wife. I'm the master. So Sarah goes to Abraham and said, look what you did. Look what you did. You better fix that. Right? Because she is mistreating me. And so Abraham said, do whatever you want with her. Now she's carrying his son. And he said, well, do whatever you want. And so what does Sarah do? Sarah said, get out. And so Hagar ran away. And sometimes that's how we feel, right? That we're mistreated, we're misused, disused. We're not where we belong. We're just overlooked. And in his way, as she remembers, she doesn't know God the way Abraham knows God. She doesn't know God the way Sarah knows God. She was from a completely different religion. And as she ran in the desert, Elroy, which is God himself, meets her and says, where are you running away from? And Hagar says, you are Elroy. The God that sees me and the God that hears me. This great God came down from heaven to meet this young little woman, a servant that had nothing, and to remind her that she was value. She might not have been valued by Abraham. 
She might not have been valued by the Egyptians. She might not have been valued by, by Sarah, but she was valued by God himself, Elroy. And how many times we feel devalued, but I'm here to remind you that what people might devalue or you might devalue yourself, the great creator sees you and hears you and values you, values you. Amen. We can think of Mary and Martha. They lost their, their, their brother, right? It was buried. And they had called for Jesus, and Jesus took his sweet little time. He does that sometimes. He doesn't come exactly when we call, right? But he comes eventually. And so Mary and Mar Martha came. It's like, if you would have been here, he would not have been dead. He was already starting to smell, and God, Jesus said, he's sleeping. Don't you know I am the resurrection? And so he calls upon Lazarus, and Lazarus removed the, the rock um, from the grave, and Lazarus comes walking and covered with the sheets, all this stuff that smells, right? And we learn from him that not only God is always in control, but that he can resurrect those things that you think are dead in you. We learn that maybe the expiration date is way past what you thought it was due. That it starts smelling that you think that you're never gonna, that's never going to happen in my life. But I'm here to tell you that when you call upon Jesus, he shows up. And he speaks to those dead things. And those th dead things arise. And those dead things become what he already had planned. Because sometimes he comes... Not on our time because he wants to show up and show off on your behalf. So just be patient with him, right? And then we talk about the Samaritan woman. And then you look through the church and you know who God really is. The last thing I want to talk, one of the few things I want to say is don't lose focus. And that's really the theme of today. Don't lose focus. Just don't lose focus because you're looking at the news, because you're looking at your bank account, because you're looking at your children and sometimes you don't know whether they're coming or going, what they're thinking or not thinking. And you're thinking, my God, all that I put in them and they're not even going anywhere I wanted them to go. Don't lose focus because it's not about you. It's really not about you. I know it's hard to know that because I like it to be about me, right? But it's not. The word of God says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim, at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. His way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And all the things will be given to you also. Sometimes we're so focused on all the things that we want, right? The bigger house, the bigger bank account, the better trips, the more clothing. But he said, no, just seek Jesus. That's what you ought to do every day. Seek him. Proverbs 4, 23, 27 says, keep vigilant, watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Sometimes it's hard, I'm just telling you. Avoid careless banter, white lies. You know how we let white lies pass? It was just a white lie. And gossip. I just wanted to know how they were doing. No, you wanted to gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Because you don't ever ask about them, ever, until you find out that something happened. Come on. You know, 
You don't even care if they come or go. But when you find out from somebody else that something happened, you're like, what happened? And you don't ask them. So that's how I know you want to gossip. Because if you really were interested, you will go to them. You will pray with them. Even if they didn't tell you what was going on. Because you don't need to know what's going on when you want to pray for somebody. Sorry. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch as smooth before you. Look neither not right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. In the Old Testament, or in the Bible, in the Bible ways, the cities were built in, certain, in a certain way where they have um, they had uh, walls that surround them for protection. But then they had different gates, right? In the spiritual, there are gateways that you can allow the enemy to come in or you can allow the enemy to go out, right? Or that you allow the spirit, spiritual things to come in, the spiritual things to go out. And in this Bible verse talks about four gateways that you ought to guard, all right? The eye gate, what you see, what are you looking at? Is what you're seeing pulling you away from God? Is it distracting you? It's a creating a stronghold. A stronghold is a place where God can enter, right? A stronghold, a city that was a stronghold was a, a, a place where the enemy couldn't enter. Guard your eye get. Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. Looking away from all what the distractions. Your eyes lead to your heart. The Bible says that your eyes are the lamp unto your soul. So whatever, if your eyes are dark, that means there is no light in your, in your heart. If there is light coming in, that means that light is in your heart, which means this. If you allow God, if your eyes are in Christ, then he'll be able to light everything in your heart that you like and that you don't want anybody else to see. Okay? In Matthew 6, Jesus said that if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body is filled with light. The other gateway in, that we have as in the spiritual, is spiritual beings, other than the eyes, is the mouth. It's the tongue, the tongue gate, the mouth. A lot has been written about that. And I think I've said a lot about it too. We can, it can positively or negatively affect us, right? We talk about death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can build or destroy people, your children, with, or children with just one word. There's a, um, a saying that says, for every mean-spirited word that you say or a negative word that you say to your children, you need to give them 10 positive words to change that one, the effect of that one word. Stick and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. And it's counter to God's truth. Be mindful of every word that comes out of your mouth. The Bible says that we're going to be accounted for him. Every idle word that you said, every mean-spirited, every abusive word, every good word, every amazing word, God, you're gonna, we're going to be held responsible for that. The last one, the other one is the ear gate. It's be mindful of what you're listening and who you're listening to. It can change your entire day. It can change your entire day. If it is gossip, if it doesn't add to your spiritual growth, then walk away. And finally, the other gateway is your, um, your feet. Your feet gate is where you're going. 
Where are you going? Every step that we ought to take has been ordered by God, but you can choose to walk on those steps or create your own steps. And then when things don't work out, you figure out why. Amen? Where are you going? Are you allowing God's word to guide you? Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the one that does not walk in the step of the wicked. And finally, um, if you can read home Philippians 4, 8, 9, which it says that think of all things that are good and noble. The race is not just for you. Genesis 50, 20 says, it's true that you plan to do something bad to me. And this is Joseph talking to his brothers. Remember, they sold him. And he said, God's plan was to use me to save the lives of many. It's not about us because what we're going through, this letting go of things, walking in our purpose, is all so we can save many people alive. It's so we can transform, so we can be an image of God on earth. So we can be God's, Christ's hands and feet on earth. It's not about us. You know, I like that song, Remember, by um, Lauren. Because he reminds you that he's been faithful. It is about Christ. It is about surrendering the way he surrendered. It's about serving the way he served. It is about walking with purpose the way that Christ walked with purpose. It is about being his hands and feet. It's about establishing his kingdom on the earth. It's about presenting the message of good news to those that are poor in the spirit, um, to those that are searching and seeking God. It's about proclaiming freedom to those that are captive physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's about setting the oppressed and depressed free. It is about providing a better vision to those that cannot see their way out from their circumstances, but you, you were on those circumstances, and you're out of those circumstances. So you have the answer, but if you make it all about you, you're not going to extend yourself. They are looking for that answer that you have, but because we're so self-centered sometimes, not you, me, I'm not giving them the answer. It is about loving unconditionally those whom love Jesus loved. It is about offering to others and demonstrating to others what so freely was given to us, love, grace, hope, and peace. This run, this race that we're running, is not about us. It's all about Jesus. all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if we keep remembering that, we remember that, then we don't make it about ourselves. Pastor? Oh, I always forget to do that, so thank you. So if you're online, we just want to thank you for joining us. First of all, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, and you want to start this amazing race, I offer that to him, to, to you today, to offer, you know, to acknowledge that he is Christ, that he came to die and resurrect on your behalf so you may have, so we may have life everlasting. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnotes.org. See you next time.